Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon, with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh, and well-being. Using the wisdom found in the Parsha, we will reflect on how women can better care for themselves, their bodies, their souls, their relationships with their husbands, and with Hashem. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center which was born of the same motivations to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships to enrich Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website www.theedencenter.com to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, comfortable and meaningful. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honoured to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. This week's Parsha serves as a wonderful opportunity to explore the basic premise behind this podcast of women's health, women's wellness, and certainly the idea of Torah, because this is when Am Yisrael are going to be introduced to the symbiotic relationship between our religious and our spiritual and our physical well-being. For immediately after the story of Yamsu, we hear that Am Yisrael travel for three days, finding themselves by Marah. But lo yachlu l'shtot They cannot drink from the waters because they're in fact bitter. So they complain to Moshe Rabbeinu, Manishte, Vayorehu Hashem eats, Vayashlech el hamayim, Vayimtuku hamayim, Sham sam l'chok meshvat b'sham nisahu. The Torah teaches us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to direct Am Yisrael with regard to taking advantage of this opportunity to teach them. Literally, Vayorehu Hashem eats. Hashem not only shows, but literally is instructing Moshe to teach Am Yisrael how, when they are going to need water, how that's going to go hand in hand with their observance of Choku Mishpat. Hashem therefore continues, The Torah teaches us that in order for us to take care of our health, in order for us literally to provide ourselves with water, it has to go hand in hand with Chok and Mishpat. It goes hand in hand with our religious observance of mitzvot, thereby preparing us for Ma'amad Harsinai and Matan Torah. And Hashem assures us that if we follow the mitzvot, then Kol HaMachala, all the diseases that were placed upon Mitzrayim, are not going to be given to us, Kiani Hashem Rufecha, because Hashem is our healer. And we can imagine that this opens up a huge discussion, both philosophically and practically, with regard to what that means. Chazal asks in Masech HaBrachot is this in fact the case that any time someone doesn't feel well, any time there is any type of physical ailment, a person then has to ask oneself, what am I doing wrong religiously? But we all look around and we know that there are numerous cases where someone, certainly young children, may get sick and it has nothing to do with their religious observance. Chazal teach us that there are in fact two different ways of looking at any type of ailment. Akadoshara assures us that there is a way to provide for certain homeostasis and make sure that we don't just pay attention to literally drinking physical water, but we really do have to observe the mitzvot as well. At the same time, we can always figure out whether or not something is in fact a punishment. Chazal encourage us 
undergo some level of introspection, not knowing our ailments really is a direct consequence of some type of iniquity. Nonetheless, Chazal also encouraged us that every type of challenge that we have, a nisayon is a nes lehitnosis, is also an opportunity, an opportunity to reflect not only upon our past, but also upon our future, an opportunity to ask oneself, what can I do with this machala? How can I then perhaps teach others, be sensitive to others? How can I learn more? And on that note, we're not going to expound upon this for now, but rather, I encourage and welcome you to join myself and Dr. Sharon Grossman for a wonderful interview with regard to BRCA testing for women to understand how we, as knowledgeable Jewesses, can learn both the halachot and also the physical and medical ramifications of proactively testing, noting that we have an opportunity to really take care of our bodies and ourselves, and this is part of our halachic responsibility. We have the schut this afternoon to be sitting with uh, Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman, the Director of Community Health Programming for the Eden Center. Sharon is a Harvard-trained radiation oncologist with a master's in public health. She is also a graduate of Matan's Morot Halacha program, where I had the schut for two years of learning both halacha and medicine with you. And I say learning because it really was a wonderful mutual experience of learning so much with you and from you, Sharon. So wonderful to welcome you here this afternoon as we discuss BRCA testing in women, because as we've learned as well, this is something that women have to be informed of, knowing that one in eight women today are diagnosed with breast cancer. And if we can do something in a proactive instead of reactive manner to take care of our health, then this is certainly something that that we should speak about. So uh, before we begin, Sharon, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you so passionate about BRCA testing? Well, thank you, Shani. It's really an honor to be here with you today and part of this exciting new endeavor. And I wish you much hatzlacha, success in disseminating your Torah and inspiring Am Yisrael. Thank you. Um, I am a radiation oncologist, which means that I'm a physician who's trained to treat cancer using radiation, specifically in breast cancer. And I trained in Boston at Harvard, uh, and I joined the staff and treated breast cancer for many years, and I saw the, the devastating effects of this disease. In addition, I had mentors who were really the leaders in breast cancer research and breast cancer treatment who inspired me. But I also went to the Harvard School of Public Health and I studied cancer prevention. And I learned two very important lessons about cancer prevention. First of all, the power of cancer prevention. I had a conversation with an oncologist, a leading oncologist in the United States over Sukkot, and told him about my interest and passion for cancer prevention. And he turned to me with tears in his eyes and he said, wow, you can, you can save more lives preventing cancer than I will ever save giving chemotherapy after someone's diagnosed. And that just shows us the power of prevention. The second lesson I learned is that any time you want to implement an intervention to promote health and public health and cancer prevention, you need to understand the social and religious beliefs of the population that you're trying to implement this into. What does that mean? That if we're going to make a difference in Israel, if we're going to make a difference in the religious community across the world, we need to understand and work with the rabbis and with post and consult with them and get them to 
to uh, give an opinion on these matters. We saw this so dramatically in the case of measles vaccine that when Haredi rabbis came forward and exhorted the public to vaccinate, calling, classifying the people who refuse vaccination as shofech damim, as murderers, suddenly the Haredi community came out en masse and was vaccinated. And so I've been meeting, speaking with, interacting with, um, post-game, presenting them the scientific background to try to get their position on BRCA testing. Well, firstly, that is fascinating. And you're 100% right that the best way to teach is by showing that health and halacha are not two independent disciplines, but are really part of the same one under v'chai bahim, v'lo sheyamut bahim. So if that's the case, then how can we possibly prevent cancer, cancer in general, by, by being informed? Or can you just explain to us what the testing then of BRCA entails and how this can prevent cancer? So the vast majority of breast cancer is not due an inher- to, to an inherited mutation. Only 5 to 10% of breast cancer is hereditary. And the vast majority of inher- inherited breast cancers are due to mutations in two breast cancer genes that are referred to as BRCA1 and 2. And these increase the risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. They are also more prevalent in the Ashkenazi community. The general population, about 1 in 400 people carry these mutations. In the Ashkenazi community, the rate is 10 times higher. 1 in 40 individuals carry the mutations. Exactly how much do they raise the risk of cancer? So typical woman, average woman, has about a 12% lifetime risk of developing cancer. A BRCA carrier can have up to an 80% chance of developing breast cancer in terms of ovarian cancer, Average woman has about a 1% risk of developing ovarian cancer, and a BRCA carrier can have up to a 50% risk of developing cancer. That's remarkable. Wow. So what may a woman do when she is diagnosed as BRCA positive? So there, she has several options. She, uh, first and foremost, can start to undergo more intensive surveillance, which means, in terms of the breasts, to undergo MRIs, our mammography, beginning at about age 25 every six months with the idea of trying to catch the cancers at an early stage, early detection. In terms of ovaries, she would undergo ultrasound or blood tests every six months, beginning around age 30, again, to try to detect the cancers in an early stage. Another option is medicines that can be taken to reduce the chances of cancer, like tamoxifen, which is a medicine that many women take after a breast cancer diagnosis, which may reduce the chances of developing breast cancer in certain kinds of BRCA mutations, BRCA2 mutations, or birth control pills that can cut the chances of of ovarian cancer in half. But the most effective way, the most dramatic way she can reduce the chances of developing breast or ovarian cancer is prophylactic surgery, risk-reducing surgery, surgery to remove breasts, mastectomy, or surgery to remove the ovaries, oophorectomy. And these cancers can dramatically reduce the chances of developing cancer. Mastectomy can reduce the chances of developing breast cancer by 90%. Oophorectomy, removal of the ovaries, can reduce the chances of developing ovarian cancer by 90%. And even the chances of developing breast cancer by 50%. Not only that, but we now know that surgery, specifically removal of the ovaries, can significantly improve the chances 
of the woman's survival. It reduces chances of dying by 77% overall. When you weigh all the factors, the risks of surgery, the risks of putting her into early menopause, in the end, there's a net benefit. Why? Because we've prevented ovarian cancer, we've prevented breast cancer. So I've had the good of hearing that phenomenal share of yours, very comprehensive, both medically and halakhically with regard to prophylactic surgery. If any of our listeners want to to learn about this, is it written? Do you have an article, a podcast perhaps? I have an article published in the Rambam Maimonides Medical Journal entitled The Angelina Jolie Effect, Halakhic Perspectives on Prophylactic Surgery. So if we go back just for a minute, though, to BRCA testing. So I'm a woman listening to this podcast right now, and now I'm just getting a little nervous. And I'm thinking, you know, I have to go right now and get tested for BRCA. Should all women be tested for this BRCA mutation? So originally, when the genes were first uh, detected and genetic testing was first made available, the the testing was limited to women who already had a cancer diagnosis to kind of guide their treatment. And then as it became apparent that this information could be used to reduce a woman's risks of developing cancer and to improve her chances of surviving, increase her longevity... There was a shift, and the testing then became recommend, then became used, introduced to women who did not have a cancer diagnosis to try to give them the opportunity to take steps to reduce their risk. And so it was recommended for women who had family histories of breast cancer. But we now know, based on three very large studies, including one of 8,000 women, 8,000 individuals in Israel, that if we just test people who have a family history of breast cancer, if we just test the Ashkenazi population of people with family history, we're going to miss half the people who carry the mutation. And so many have asked why. Why doesn't family history help us identify what we're looking for? And so there are a lot of answers. Small families, family history is inaccurate sometimes, family doesn't want to disclose, but doctors don't necessarily know who to refer And there's a misperception that you only have to worry about your mother's history. You don't have to worry about your father's history. And that's not correct because you can inherit the mutation just as easily from your father as from your mother. It's passed down from your father too. Doctors don't know that so much. The general public doesn't know that so much. And so there has been a movement to offer testing to all Ashkenazi women. It's estimated in Israel that there are about 5,000, today we know of 5,000 women who carry the mutation, and it's estimated that there are probably 50,000 that carry the mutation. One of the leading physicians at Sloan Kettering, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, has said that at the present, given our present Test, uh, approach towards testing, we're missing 90% of Ashkenazim who carry the mutation. So there has been a movement to extend testing to all Ashkenazi women. This has been the um, the U.S. Preventative Task Force, which is an organization that recommends preventive treatments across the United States, has expanded testing to include people who have ancestries that would make them uh, at higher risk of carrying mutation, presumably referring to Ashkenazim. And most recently, the Israel Ministry of Health, just two weeks ago, added BRCA testing for all Ashkenazi women to the basket of health services. However, this does not address the the needs of men who are also at risk 
for carrying a mutation, as well as Sfardim, who in certain populations are at higher risk of carrying the mutation. So if I'm an Ashkenazi woman listening right now, all I want to do is run to the hospital and undergo BRCA testing. Is this the only way to undergo the testing? Can you offer practical advice to women now sitting in their homes across the globe as to how they should all get up and fulfill this mitzvah de'oraita of anishmorta ma'od l'nafshotechem and undergo BRCA testing? So I personally underwent testing last year, and it was so simple. It was it's not even describable how simple. Mosei Shabbat, as my husband was cleaning up and my children were doing their homework and getting ready for the next week of school, I sat down at my computer and I uh, googled a private genetic testing company, filled out some demographic information, clicked send, and next day a genetic counselor called me up, took some information, and on Monday morning, a nurse actually came to my house at 12 o'clock, drew my blood. I put the blood in my refrigerator. Later on in the day, a courier came to take the blood and send it to the genetic testing company. Hey, one second. Sorry. I feel like I'm living during the Jetsons for a moment. And I, I just, I, I'm just astounded. And that's surprised you mean just sitting in my home, I can undergo BRCA testing. Yes. Yes. This is remarkable. Yes. Is everyone listening to this? That means no one has any excuse anymore. Okay, please continue with this fascinating story. So uh, they took the blood, and about six weeks later, I received an email. Thank God I was negative. But I do have friends who went through the, this testing process who tested positive, and they received the email. They, they received the information via email, and then... The next day, a genetic counselor contacted them to discuss the implications and what they could do and um, where to go from there. However, now that this is part of the basket of health services, really any Ashkenazi woman can contact her physician and set the process in motion through the kupot, through the health baskets. Uh, previously, if you were being tested through the health basket, there you, the physician would first send you to a genetic counselor to, to discuss your specific risks and, and what was involved, and then, only then, would you go for a blood test. And sometimes it can take a while to wait for that appointment with a genetic counselor. It's not clear if, uh, under the new recommendations, all Ashkenazi women who are being offered BRCA testing will also need to wait with a genetic counselor in advance. In terms of the rest of the world, um, in the United States, BRCA testing, when it was first introduced, was quite expensive at nearly $4,000 a test and wasn't necessarily covered by insurance. Uh, over the years, there, the price has gone down. And again, if anyone has questions about how to arrange testing in her specific country, the Eden Center is more than happy to help navigate the system. Excellent. There are some women who don't want to know if they're in this higher risk category of carrying the gene. They'll go for mammograms. They may even do their manual monthly checks, but they don't want to carry this genetic weight. So what would you say to as such women, both to relieve their anxiety and simultaneously make sure that they're still taking responsibility for their health? So it's what you describe as a very, very normal phenomenon. And I hear women say this all the time. I have so many reactions. First, I think of what Rav Moshe Feinstein said 
in his tshuva about Tay-Sachs testing, which he wrote in 1973, and he said that someone who refuses Tay-Sachs testing, it's as though he's closing his eyes to what's in front of him. I think of the words of the author Elizabeth Wurzel, who just passed away a few weeks ago from breast cancer. I think of the words that she wrote in her op-ed piece in the New York Times on September 27th, 2015. She had been diagnosed with uh, as carrier of the BRCA mutation after her breast cancer diagnosis. And she wrote, if you have the BRCA mutation, you want to know. For 98% of women who undergo BRCA testing, the results will be negative. And that can be a liberating, a liberating experience. I have a friend whose mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was pregnant with her and then died of ovarian cancer when she was eight years old. Her aunts, her, her cousins, her grandmother had breast cancer uh, or ovarian cancer and were carriers of the BRCA mutation. And she lived her life believing that she was a carrier, assuming that at any moment she would be diagnosed with either breast cancer or ovarian cancer. And finally, at age 40, she underwent testing and she tested negative, and suddenly she had a new lease on life. So a negative test result can be, can give peace of mind and can be liberating. However, a, a positive test result can be stressful and it can create anxiety. And we know there are studies that have looked at how women cope with a positive diagnosis. And we know that overall, the vast majority of them would do the testing again. We know that their anxiety level does increase but by two years, it goes down, and certainly the women who choose to have prophylactic surgery, their anxiety goes back to baseline. Mm. So this knowledge, this information, even though it can cause anxiety, it's empowering. It can give women the tools to take the necessary steps to reduce the risks of cancer and to increase their longevity. I'd like to even conduct a poll right now amongst the listeners to to get a sense from them and about how I'm sure this information is meant to really relieve their anxiety and let them know that they can do something about taking care of their health. So if we've already discussed halacha and the importance within halacha of inishmartim o'lenafshotechem, is there a rabbinic consensus regarding BRCA testing? And even though we know there are machlokot in so many areas, and I, I would think that Rabbanim should be coming out in favor of women conducting this test. So there really are no are no chuvot on uh, the issue of BRCA testing. The one chuva we have dates back to Igrot Moshe, uh, Eben HaEzer, Chelak Dalid, Siman Yud, from Yudchet Adar Sheni, Tafshin Lamed Gimel, 1973, where Rav Moshe was asked whether it was permitted to undergo Tay-Sachs testing. And as you said, on the one hand, we have Vini Shmartzen Ma'od Techem arguing so strongly for Tay-Sachs testing, for BRCA testing. But on the other hand, we have to balance two other competing um, competing halachic principles. And the first is Tamim Tiyayim Hashem uh, which is from Dvarim. And Rashi explains that uh, that really be perfect with God means walk before him wholeheartedly. Put your hope in him and do not attempt to investigate the future. And so there is this notion that genetic testing constitutes soothsaying and seeking the future and going to a fortune teller. And so maybe it shouldn't be permitted because it involves some form of, of uh, lack of faith in God and seeking the future. And 
Also arguing against testing is Shomer Pateim Hashem, the halachic principle that God protects the simple and that there are certain risks that as a society we accept because God will watch over us. And so maybe we shouldn't undergo testing for Tay-Sachs or for BRCA because God will watch over us. And in Rav Moshe's tshuva, he very clearly states that genetic testing is not soothsaying. He does not say this falls under Vinishmartzam Odlanav Shotei. He does not say this falls under Shomer Pateim Hashem. And he encourages everyone to undergo Tay-Sachs testing. And those who refuse, it's as though they're closing their eyes to what's in front of them. Can we extrapolate from that to BRCA testing? Well, we don't know how Rav Moshe would feel about BRCA testing because we can't ask him. But more importantly, there are many differences between the mutations in terms of their transmission, their penetrance, the prognosis, and the treatments. However, Rav Moshe's son-in-law, Rav Moshe Tendler, uh, professor of biology at Yeshiva University, was asked about BRCA testing in 1997, and he strongly opposed BRCA testing. He felt that it would just lead to mental anguish, it would lead to discrimination in shiduchim, and he referred to it as the tyranny of knowledge. And for the last 22 years, he was quoted and requoted as opposing testing. And so I slowly uh, began to ask post-game last year how they feel about BRCA testing. I spoke with Rav Professor Avram Steinberg and Rav Yuval Sherlow and Rav Avi Nair, uh, and Rav Steinberg recommended that all Ashkenazi women undergo testing and said that it was an obligation for women with a family history to undergo testing. Rav Sherlow and Rav Avinair were unequivocal, uh, with Rav Avinair saying that it's an absolute mitzvah for women, Ashkenazi women, to undergo testing. He subsequently published his position to uh, publicize to the general public. And uh, at some point, I had the courage to contact Rabbi Tendler. In spite of his, <laughs> his uh, vehement opposition, in the past, and I asked him, based on the medical information that I've presented to you regarding the benefits of surgery and how women may use this information to reduce the risks of cancer and uh, improve their lives, what is the Rav's position? And he told me, I am in full support of BRCA testing for all Jewish women, not just Ashkenazi women, and you can quote me on that. I believe that today it is a chiv doraita. It's an absolute halachic requirement to do the testing since we have the means to respond to a positive test. And after I heard that, I had to go tested, get, go get tested, because how can you argue with a chiv doraita? This is so exciting to hear that not only in the words of Rav Avinair, is it a mitzvah, but Rav Tenler, it's a chiv doraita. It's on a halachic level. Every woman who's listening right now should be getting up and finding out through Google or whatever other means to fulfill this mitzvah and chiv. I believe, I truly believe that as more post-scheme become aware of the issues related to BRCA testing and the medical benefits of testing and its impact on reducing um, cancer and reducing mortality, that there will be even more rabbis as we move forward, more post-scheme who support testing and who promote it in their respective communities. Based on this interview, anyone who's listening now is thinking, especially because I've been encouraging every woman now, based on what you're saying, to go ahead and undergo BRCA testing. Does that mean that a woman should now take her 12-year-old daughter and run for, for testing? 
So the recommendation for testing is to initiate testing at the age of 25 or 30. Why? Because cancers are very rare below that age. And at that age, a woman would start to undergo surveillance, mammograms and MRIs and ultrasounds and blood tests to look for cancer. Before the age of 25, the risks of cancer are low, and there's really not a whole lot you're going to do about it. Also, the recommendation for 2530 reflects a little bit um, the hope that by that age, many women would already be married so that the results of testing wouldn't affect shiduchim and lead to discrimination in that area as well. And just to clarify, this is all women or particularly Ashkenazi women? So the recommend, we're talking about Ashkenazi women in particular. Uh, and of course, someone with a family history or, uh, other, other reasons to put her in a higher risk category. There, there are no specific recommendations for Sephardi women, uh, across the board. However, there are certain populations that we know that are increased risk. For example, Sephardim Tahorim, who emigrated from Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Yemen and can trace their lineage back to pre-1492 Spain and Portugal. So now I'm going to share with you, um, a little bit of personal history. Six years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I immediately was sent to the genetic studies department in Shari Tzedek to undergo BRCA testing, and Baruch Hashem, it came out negative, and at the same time, they told me that my daughters still have to be tested, and from what I understand now from the podcast, really, my husband should be tested to ensure that none of our children carry the BRCA mutation. But even if everyone tests negative, is everyone really off the hook? Perhaps this is even more dangerous because non-carriers feel that everything is okay. How should they be monitoring themselves? Are monthly breast checks at the mikvah or any other time still recommended and any other screening methods? What would you say to the negative BRCA women? So you make a very important point. In fact, one of the arguments against BRCA testing for the entire uh, entire Ashkenazi population is that women will incorrectly assume that a negative test result means that they are at zero risk of developing breast cancer. And unfortunately, that's not the case. They continue to be at risk for developing breast cancer. It's part of being a woman. Uh, and, and not only must they continue to need to continue to maintain breast health, and that means checking yourself once a month. Even though breast self-examination is not thought to be a screening tool for breast cancer, it's strongly recommended by the Israel Cancer Association and other major medical associations that a woman familiarize herself with her breasts and know what's normal for her. And how does that work? Do it the same time every month, preferably the beginning of your cycle, before in the first part of your cycle when the breasts are less lumpy do it on the same day every month and so what better time to do it than chafifa when you're preparing for the mikvah for women who have already gone through menopause and aren't going to the mikvah every month then choose a day in the month that you will remember maybe make it rosh chodesh but make sure to do that breast exam every month in addition the israel cancer association recommends mammograms for all women over the age of 50 every two years and for women below 45, for between 45 and 49 to discuss with your physician the risks and benefits of screening. For women with a family history, the recommendation uh, may even be as low as 40 for mammograms and those are covered by the Ministry of Health. 
And of course, the recommendations for mammography depend on the country that you're living in. And I know, Baruch Hashem, we have listeners from all over the world. So consult with your local physicians to see what their recommendations are for when to start mammograms. Sharon, I want to thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. This has been an enriching conversation. I look forward to many more Be'ezrat Hashem, and I'm sure that our listeners are thinking the same, knowing that now they have both a halachic and health responsibility to ensure as much as possible to get up and undergo BRCA testing. On that note, all those in Israel have an opportunity, Be'ezrat Hashem, this February 16th in Matan Hasharon in Renana, a Women's Health and Wellness Fair and Day for a comprehensive on-site BRCA genetic testing together with testing for skin cancer. Definitely take advantage. This is co-sponsored by Matan and the Eden Center. Once again, February 16th, beginning at 6 p.m. And look forward to seeing as many of you there and for those not there to ensure that they do go ahead and undergo BRCA testing, wishing you all a Shabbat Shalom, Shavua Tov, and Chodesh Tov Mavorach. The podcast is sponsored this week for the Refuah of Debbie Abelow, Devorah Batnisa Etel, and by Karen and David Meltz in memory of David's father, Noach Moshe Zal, on the occasion of his 18th yard site. To sponsor an episode, go to bit.ly slash Sponsor podcast. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Terrigan, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb, and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We also welcome your feedback and questions on the podcast. Email us at podcasts at theedencenter.com.